Sometimes. 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 Sometimes I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what to believe, what to feel, what to do. What do you do when? When you don't know what to do. Is it okay to doubt? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who has doubt? How do I deal with this? How do I overcome doubt? How do I overcome doubt? How do I overcome doubt? Well, good morning, church. Good morning. And welcome back to our series called Overcoming Doubt. And this is such an important series, I believe, for all of us because there's at times in our lives that we wrestle with doubt. You know, we live in a world of skepticism, don't we? We want to see it if we're going to believe it. We want to touch it ourselves, then if we're going to know that it's true. But we're saying, what part does doubt play in our faith? And can we doubt and still be a follower of Christ? I mean, how does that work? Are doubt and faith mutually exclusive? Is it okay to doubt? And when we do doubt, how do we deal with that doubt? And then ultimately, how do we overcome that doubt? Now, as we said last week, here's the good news. Our God is big enough to handle our doubts, right? Our God is sovereign over all creation. Our God is the creator and the sustainer of life. And so we can bring our doubts, we can bring our questions, we can bring our concerns, we can bring our worries, we can bring our fears to him. And it doesn't catch him off guard. He is sovereign and he loves us. So we said last week that doubt is not a sin. And doubt is not a sin. Now, a lot of times we think about it as a sin, but doubt, as St. Augustine said, is just another element of faith. And doubt is the seedbed of faith. And our faith grows out of doubt. We're all going to believe in something, right? So what do you believe in? What's important to you? What drives you through the day? And this call to faith. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and we're going to be in John chapter 20 today, and and we're seeing the most famous doubter of all time, okay? I mean, this guy is known by his name of doubt. I mean, how would you like that, right? But his name's Doubting Thomas. That's how kind of we all know him as Doubting Thomas, and yet when we see his story, we're kind of like, okay, I can relate, you know, because I probably would have had the same questions. I probably would have had the same concerns. I probably would have had the same doubts. You see, Thomas followed Jesus for three years. And Thomas and John, John who wrote the Gospel of John, was an eyewitness. He was a disciple. They were there with Jesus. They watched Jesus do miracles. They saw Jesus, you know, healing people and restoring people. And they're like, yes, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament was talking about, the one that we've been waiting for, you know, they're so excited. And Jesus' popularity continues to rise, continues to rise, continues to rise. And and yet there's also this tension that's going on. You had the religious leaders who were saying, he's not the Messiah. And, and so this, this persecution started happening. And, and, and the disciples were in, caught in this mix. And they thought, oh, Jesus is going to come in on a stallion. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to return the Jews to a place of prominence. And we're going to be right there with him. This is going to be awesome. And then they go at Passover. And Jerusalem is swelled to four or five times its normal size and all the people there. And, and you had, you know, Palm Sunday and people waving palm branches and the disciples are like, yes, yes, yes. And then Jesus is arrested. He's crucified. And the disciples scatter. What happened? We thought you were going to be the one. We, we thought you were the Messiah. And what was Jesus doing? He was saying, hey, I'm so much more than a political Messiah, Right? I'm a spiritual Messiah. I'm one who's brought salvation not just for the Jews, but I've become the great high priest to build a bridge between God 
and man, holy God, sinful man, and Jesus going to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And on that Easter Sunday morning, the disciples are gathered in a room and they're praying and they're wondering and the doubts and the worries and the fears and the concerns would have happened over the last three years. And into the room walks Jesus. Peace be with you. He's alive. He's alive. And you can imagine the celebration. You can imagine they're just going, yes, yes. He conquered death just like he said he would. He said he was going to do it and he did it. And he's alive. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. And so we saw last week in John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. They're all fired up. Thomas, 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 he's alive. He conquered death. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Doubting Thomas. But how many of us would have been like, wait a minute, <laughs> I want to see with my own eyes, right? I want to see for myself. I want to know. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I'm, I'm excited, but, but I want to see too. How many of us still deal with doubt and worry and fear and anxiety? So how do we deal with it? Well, look at number one, if you're taking notes today. Doubt comes when we focus on our circumstances instead of Christ. Doubt comes when we focus on our circumstances instead of Christ. Now this is important to note. Thomas wasn't kind of a casual observer of Jesus, okay? Thomas wasn't kind of a Christmas and Easter kind of guy. I mean, Thomas was all in, right? I mean, Thomas was a disciple, and as a disciple, he still wrestled with his doubt. As a disciple, he was still went through times that was hard for him to understand. If you go back to John chapter 11, there's an incident that happens where Jesus is teaching up in Galilee, and the word comes to him that Lazarus, his friend, is sick. And so now Jesus knows, okay, Lazarus is in Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. But he's already been warned, you know, by the religious leaders, if you come back to Judea, you will be stoned to death. And so Jesus is up there, doesn't catch Jesus by surprise, but Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, listen, Lazarus is really sick, just got the news. Now this isn't going to end in death, he may fall asleep, but you know, I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a miracle that's going to happen. And we're going to go down there. And Thomas says, Thomas says this in John chapter 11. He says, hey guys, let's go with him that we may also die with him. Now that's not a casual observer, is it? <laughs> that's not somebody who's kind of in a little bit and I'm going to show up for church every now and then. I mean, that, that's somebody who's committed. And yet even in his commitment, <laughs> there was this doubt. There was an article that came out in the New York Times last year uh, called Doubt as a Sign of Faith by Julia Baird. And it happened because the Archbishop of Canterbury made a statement that he wrestled with doubt sometimes. And that kind of like threw everybody into a loop. And she writes this article and says, Despite the alarm, the Archbishop's remarks were rather tame. He told an audience at Bristol Cathedral that there were moments when he wondered, Is there a God and where is God? Then asked specifically if he harbored doubts, he responded, It's a really good question. The other day I was praying over something as I was running and I ended up saying to God, look, this is all very well, but isn't it about time you did something? Which is probably not what the Archbishop of Canterbury should say. But Archbishop Welby's candor only makes him human. He may lead 80 million Anglicans worldwide, but he's also a man who knows anguish, rage, incomprehension, and the cold bareness of grief. 
He lost his firstborn child, Joanna, a seven-month-old baby girl, in a car accident in 1983, a period which he has described as utter agony. As a teenager, he cared for an alcoholic father. When explaining his thoughts on doubt, he referred to the mournful Psalm 88, which describes the despair of a man who's lost all of his friends and cries out, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? The psalm reads bleakly, Darkness is my closest friend. Faith cannot block out darkness or doubt. When on the cross, Jesus did not cry out, Here I come, but my God, why have you forsaken me? His disciples brim with doubts and misgivings. And then she makes this quote, listen to this. Just as courage is persisting in the face of fear, so faith is persisting in the presence of doubt. Think about that for a minute. Just as courage is persisting in the face of fear, so faith is persisting in the presence of doubt. Faith becomes then a commitment, a practice, and a pact that is unusually sustained by belief. But doubt is not just a vulnerability, it can also be a strength. Doubt acknowledges our own limitations and confirms or challenges fundamental beliefs and is not a detractor to belief, but a crucial part of it. Mother Teresa uh, startled the world in her diaries when she revealed that she was aching to see God or sense God. In 1953, she wrote, Please pray specifically for me that I may not spoil his work and that our Lord may show himself. And yet by this work, she helped thousands of people. That's not always torment, you know. Some live quite contentedly with a patchwork of doubt. Who can possibly hope to understand everything and to have exhaustively researched all areas of certainty? How can we jam the infinite and contain it in our tiny brains? This is why there is so much comfort in mystery. This is why there's so much comfort in mystery. There comes a point when we realize he is God and I'm not. Right? There comes a point where I go, wait a minute, it's called faith. That means I have to believe. That means I have to trust. St. John of the Cross, a 16th century monk, talks about a dark night of the soul. That sometimes when you have been a believer, a follower of Jesus for a long time, sometimes you go through, there's these questions and you wonder, God, where are you? God, where, why? Don't you see what's happening? But you don't walk away. Right? Faith is this commitment that you make. Sometimes if you've been married a long time and you, and you wonder, you know, you know does, does my husband still think I'm pretty? <laughs> does my wife, does she still love me? Does she still respect me? And those doubts may creep in every now and then, but what, you've made a commitment, right? You've made a commitment. I'm going to be married and I'm going to put a stake in the ground that I love you. I have committed to you. So what causes doubts in our relationship with God? What causes doubts? Number one is this, when things don't go our way, when things don't go our way, we began to doubt. We began to wonder. Thomas, things didn't go his way, right? He thought, you know, hey, Jesus is going to establish this kingdom on this earth, and, and I'm going to be sitting up there, like, living large. And, and it didn't kind of all pan out. But all of a sudden, he realized God was doing something bigger. Sometimes in our lives, things don't go our way. Sometimes in our lives, we got our whole life planned out. We know what's going to happen. <laughs> God, you want to jump in any time here, you know, but this is where I'm going. This is what's going to happen. Number two, sometimes things don't go our way. Number two is when we forget all the things that God's already accomplished. Thomas forgot. You know, Thomas was like, oh, I, I just blanked out. I remember there were miracles that happened along the way, but I, you know, somehow he kind of forgot that. And a lot of times in our lives, we, we forget, don't we? We forget those times that we called out to God. God, I'm in financial trouble. God, help. God, relationally, help. God, I need you. And now we look back and hindsight's 20-20 and we can see how God has been so 
gracious every single time. And what we realize is it's in God's timing, not our timing. We always want things in our timing, don't we? We always want things our way. And, and yet God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. I am at work. I haven't given up on you. Trust me in this. Trust me in this. The third thing that causes doubt sometimes is this, when we rely on ourselves and not God. When we rely on ourselves, right? I can handle it. I can work it out. I'll make it happen. Hmm. I had lunch with a guy a couple weeks ago, and he's going through a really hard time in his marriage. And he said, Jeff, he said, just to be honest, it started back in February. And he goes, you know what? I was just, he goes, I was just prideful. I didn't want anybody to know. I was going to figure it out. I was going to make it work. He goes, so I didn't tell anybody. He goes, we stopped going to church. He goes, I really stopped praying. He goes, I was just going to fix it. I was going to fix it. And now here I am six months later and it's a wreck. And I realize I've blown it and I need help. And I think how often does it happen in our lives, you know? We go through a tough time and instead of drawing closer to God, we pull back. We're like, no, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to fix this. And God's going, oh, whoa, whoa, wait about me. What about me? There was a guy, John the Baptist. You may remember him, right? John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus the forerunner to the Christ, the forerunner of the Messiah. John the Baptist, when he looked up and he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That incredible declaration of faith. And then doubt started to come in. Why? Because John was arrested. He was put in prison by Herod. And in prison, he's wondering, if he's the Messiah, why am I in prison? <laughs> and so he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? I just want to be sure because I'm in prison here and things are challenging and I just want to know that you're really the Messiah. He had these doubts. And Jesus, Jesus, I just love his compassion. I love his, oh, Jesus just meets these disciples. He says, hey guys, go back and tell John. Tell John what you see. Remember what you see? Not just the physical but the spiritual. Tell John the deaf are hearing. Tell, tell John the lame are walking. Tell John the good news is being preached to the poor. Remember Isaiah 61, that messianic prophecy? Just, just tell John what you're seeing. Go, go back and tell John. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, Hey guys, when you went out to see John, what were you going out to see? A prophet? Yes. Jesus said, and one of the greatest prophets ever. He didn't condemn him for the doubts. He didn't like reprimand him. What did he do? He met him there. Aren't you thankful for God who meets us there? Aren't you thankful for a God who can handle our questions and our worries and our concerns? But you're thankful for a God who says, hold on, trust me. Trust me. There's something bigger at play here. Keep going. Number two is this. Hey, Jesus brings peace into our doubt. Jesus brings peace into our doubt. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're having some of those kind of questions. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with some of those things. I just want to tell you, Jesus brings peace, Right? A week later when the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus walked into the room and there's Thomas and there's all the disciples and what does Jesus say? You know, hey guys, what's wrong with you? No, what does he say? Peace. Peace be with you. He didn't say, Thomas, this is how I'm going to tell you exactly how it all went down. I'm going to answer all of your questions right here. I'm just going to play it out for you. You know, there was this whole deal about me, you know, and I resurrected, my resurrected body. And I'm just going to explain that to you. No, he just said, peace. Peace. Isn't that what we want? (laughs) In the midst of our questions, in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our fears, don't we just want peace? I mean, we understand we're not going to comprehend everything. 
God, we just need peace. Peace. In Luke chapter 1, there's a young teenage girl. And an angel shows up and says, Mary, greetings, you are highly favored. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. <laughs> and what does Mary do? She just goes, I doubt it. I mean, come on, look at me. I I'm a virgin. I'm young. There's no possible way. This can't happen. And the angel comes back and says, hey, listen. Says a few more things and then says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Hey, if you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Nothing is impossible with God. You never give up on God because God will never give up on you. And what does Mary say in response? May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. I, I don't know how it's all going to work out, right? I'm not going to understand that. But, but what I'm going to understand is this, is that there's peace in trusting you, God. There's peace in following you, God. There's peace in knowing you, God. There's peace in knowing that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And James chapter 1 tells us this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all who ask without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. What's James saying? He's saying at some point, at some point, you have to move to faith. You have to move to trust. How often in our doubt are we unstable, right? And we're trying to live this kind of dual life. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to have all our questions answered. And, and in the midst of it, we can't sleep at night. We this anxiety builds up within us. And, and God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to bring peace. I just want to bring peace in your marriage. I just want to bring peace in your family. I just want to bring peace in your life. I want to bring peace in your room. I just want to bring peace in your work. I want to bring peace in your soul. Peace. So how do we deal with doubt? Number one is this, you pray. You pray. If anybody wants to know, you pray. You ask God, like it says in James. You ask. And how often do we try to deal with it on our own instead of asking? Bring it to the Lord. He can handle it. Number two is this, seek. Right? Seek. You know, it says in Jeremiah, you call to me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. You know, maybe the question is the answer. You ever thought about that? Maybe the question is the answer. Maybe the call of God is just that we bring it to him. Maybe that's where the peace comes from. Number three is this, you believe. You believe. At some point, you have to move from faith to faith from doubt. At some point, you have to move on that journey. And then number four is this, you live in peace. You live in peace. You find your peace in Christ. You find your peace in him. You allow him to be enough for you. And 12 years ago, when God called us to plant Rolling Hills, I remember it was an exciting time, but it was also a scary time. And just to be honest, my wife, Lisa, she had more faith than I did. I mean, she, she was like, this is what God's called us to do, we're going to do it. And I'm like, I don't know about it. I'm scared and I'm praying and everything. And, and so we had our, our, you know, first night we met in an apartment clubhouse, a Thursday night Bible study over in Alara Farms in Cool Springs. The first night we had 15 people, right? And it was a great night, amazing, awesome night. And, and then after that night, we walked away and it was just like doubt. I mean, 
boom, it came on. And I didn't know if I was having a panic attack or what, but I'm all these questions like, God, is this really what you're calling us to do? God, I walked away from a good job that I loved. <laughs> you know, financially it was good. I mean, I health insurance, that was important, you know. And here we are now, and God, are you sure? God, did I miss you? And, and that weekend we went away for, for just a few days, and Lisa and I went. And, and I don't know, I just experienced God in nature so often, right? And so we're out in nature, and there's this stream. And I remember walking up and down by the stream, and I just praying and just praying and praying over and over. And I kept praying Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians 4, it says this, do not be anxious about anything. Are you anxious about something today? <laughs> do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What's he doing? With thanksgiving. Don't forget. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget the way I've always been there. Don't forget the way I've always sustained you. Hey, present your request to God. And then it says this, in the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I remember for like two hours just walking up and down, just, God, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace, and the peace, and the peace, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I don't know. I'm not going to have all my questions answered. I'm not going to know how you're going to do all this, God. But I know this. You're enough. <laughs> you're enough. And I remember walking away from that stream, and there were still questions about how things were going to happen and how things were going to go, but I just remember having a peace. It was just like you just turn your face and go, okay, I'm going forward. I'm going forward in Christ. I'm going forward in Him. And I can imagine those disciples when Jesus kind of walks in the room, peace, and they just go, that's enough. You are enough. You are enough. We don't understand how this is all going to play out, but listen, you're alive, and you're enough. Wow. Number three is this, Jesus addresses our specific doubts. He addresses our specific doubts. So he walks in the room, all the disciples are there. Then he said, notice this, to Thomas. Notice that. He said to Thomas, specifically, right? He says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. <laughs> Do you remember when Thomas had his doubt? What did he say? If you go back, he said, but, but he said to the other disciples, Jesus wasn't there, right? But he said to the other disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And Jesus shows up and he says, peace to all the disciples. And then he looks at Thomas. He says, Thomas, here you go. Right here. And Thomas is going, you weren't there when I said it. And Jesus is going, yeah, I was. <laughs> right here. Here you go. Just put your, put your hand right there. All right, all right, put your hand right here. Look, and then he says, what does he say? Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Trust me, Jesus doesn't get mad at Thomas. Jesus responds with love and kindness. But Jesus meets him in his specific doubt. I love that, you guys. In our lives, man, our specific doubt that Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to you today and he calls you by name. Isn't that amazing that God knows your name? He does. And he calls you by name. One of the most famous doubters of our day and our time is a guy named Lee Strobel. <laughs> and Lee Strobel was this guy who was an ardent atheist, right? And, and I mean, just totally against God. He grew up, brilliant thinker. He goes and gets his master's at Yale in journalism. And he ends up working for the Chicago Tribune for 14 years as an investigative reporter. And he was always trying to, you know, always kind of antagonistic toward Christianity. 
And then his wife became a Christian. <laughs> and his wife started praying for him. The power of a praying wife, I tell you. And she's praying and she's praying. And he's just getting more and more mad, more and angry, you know, this whole Christianity thing. And so he says, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned in journalism and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to investigate Christianity. And I'm going to disprove it for her and for the rest of the world. And he starts going at it. And he's listening to his doubts and his questions and his concerns. And for two years he studied. And what he said is this, God met me in every one of my doubts. <laughs> every one of them. And there came the point where he believed that there was a God, right? Just like we saw in James, do you believe in God? good even the demons believe in God and shudder you know so that was one thing but then the next step of I believe there's a God but now I'm yielding my life to his son Jesus Christ I'm stepping over that line I'm giving my life to Christ and he gets down on his knees and says Jesus you are my God you're the Lord of my life he goes on to become a teaching pastor at a Willow Creek in Chicago and a teaching pastor at Saddleback He's gone on to write a book, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for Creator. If you have questions, great books, read and study. But what I love what he said is Jesus met me in my doubts. And Jesus will meet us in our questions. Jesus will meet us in our hurts. Jesus will meet us in our pains. Jesus will meet us in our fears. Jesus will meet you. And that's the call, right? When those doubts, when those questions, when those worries come into our mind, we take captive that thought right there. And we bring it to Jesus immediately. Because Jesus knows what's going on in us. One of my favorite people in the Old Testament is a guy named Joshua. I just love this guy. And Joshua was, was with him, you know, as the, God brought the people out of this land of slavery in Egypt. And he's taking them across the desert. And he's preparing this promised land, this incredible blessing for them, and, and they're trying to figure out, they're on the journey, and they're going, why are we in a desert? But you know, God, you have all this, and God's going, I'm just getting it ready for you. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. And he goes, all you have to do is you just walk in. You just take it. The land is yours. And in Numbers chapter 13, they, they sent 12 spies in the land. They wanted to go check it out, right? And so they go into the land, and these 12 spies come back, and 10 of the spies go, no way. <laughs> We can't do it. No way. There are giants in that land. In fact, there are giants in that land that we look like grasshoppers compared to them. They're looking at the physical, aren't they? And two of the spies come back, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb go, come on, let's go. Let's do it. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. Let's go. They were seeing with God's eyes. They were seeing what God could do. But the whole nation listened to the ten. The whole nation rebelled against God. And so God says, okay, guys, take a lap around the desert for 40 years until that whole unbelieving generation dies off. You see, doubt is but an element of faith, of learning to trust God. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And that whole unbelieving nation died off until God raised up a new group of people who were passionate about him. And they come back to that same place in the Jordan River, looking into the promised land 40 years later. And God speaks to Joshua, who's now leading the people. And he says, Joshua, Joshua, you're the only one who's been in there, you and Caleb. You know what lies ahead, but you know that I'm greater. Joshua, trust me. Trust me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, notice that, the Lord, your God, personal, is with you wherever you go. And Joshua goes, that's enough for me. Let's go.
And all the people walk into the promised land. And God just gives them victory after victory after victory. God meets us. But God calls us to go forward. And that's number four is this. Jesus moves us from doubt to a deeper faith. He moves us from doubt to a deeper faith. Right? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the declaration of faith for Thomas and for each of us. There comes a time when it's not just what the other disciples say. It's not just what my family says. It's not just what my church says. There comes a time for you and I, every one of us, to say, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. My Lord and my God. And I'm going forward in Christ. This is his declaration of faith. What about yours? You remember when... uh, Jesus heard the news that Lazarus, his friend, was sick. And Thomas says, hey, let us go with him that we may also die with him. In John chapter 11, Jesus makes his way and he comes to this funeral. And there's always questions, there's always doubts at a funeral, right? Why God? Why now? God, I don't understand. And Jesus shows up and sure enough, Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, they come out to greet Jesus. And, and Martha shows up in her first question, Jesus, where have you been? My brother's been dead for four days. Jesus, I thought you knew what was going on. Jesus, why? (laughs) Why? And Jesus says to her, John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha. Do you? Do you believe this? And this call to faith, this call to trust, this call to say, God, you're enough. Jesus walks up to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. He calls him by name. Now that was important because if he just said, you know, come forth, all these dead people would have been walking out. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes walking out of the tomb. And that's what God wants to do in every one of our lives, moves us from death to life. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions until we were made alive by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That we come alive in Christ. And then he calls us to move from doubt to deeper faith. And every day that we are going to live our lives for him. That Jesus, you're enough. I may not understand it all. I may not know what you're doing with everything. But God, you are enough for me. And for Thomas, Jesus was enough. Early church fathers tell us that Thomas took the gospel to India. In 72 AD, he died as a martyr. Every one of the disciples died as a martyr's death, except for John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. But every one of them, man, they just said, I'm living my life for Christ. I'm living my life for Christ. I'm living my life for Christ. And they changed the world. A world of doubt, a world of skepticism, a world of fear, a world of concern, a world of worry. And they changed to say, no, there's a God who is bigger. And there is a God who is stronger. See, faith, 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 get this, is a decision you make. Faith is a commitment you make. And at some point in your life, you just say, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough for me. And I'm going to grow, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to become. But I'm putting a stake in the ground that Jesus is enough. I don't know where you are today. But I know this, God has you here for a reason, for a purpose. And God wants to meet you right here, right now. Maybe for you, you you have doubts, you know. 
Maybe for you, today is a day of salvation where you just say yes, like Lee Strobel or others. There comes a time where you just say yes, I'm stepping over the line, I'm following Christ. Maybe for you, it's been baptism, God's been speaking to you. Maybe for you, there's been doubts in your marriage. Maybe for you, there's been doubts just in your pain and wondering, can God heal? Does God see? Does God care? And what you hear today is yes, he does. Trust him today. Hold on to him today. Allow him to be enough. Your story's not over, right? You still have breath in your lungs for a reason because God is still at work. Trust him. I'm going to invite all of us into a time of response. And we're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to ask some of our A6 men and maybe some of their spouses to kind of move to the sides. And, and we're going to have a time of prayer. Well, maybe you came in with doubts. Maybe you came in with worries. Maybe you came in with fears. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to ask us all to stand. Our worship team's going to come. They're going to lead us in a response. And this is just a declaration of faith today. Christ, you are enough for me. But listen, if you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you can write it on the little card and we will do that. Or today, I just want to encourage you maybe just to move over to the side. Find one of these men, find one of these couples and just say, hey, would you pray for us? Would you pray for our marriage? Maybe you're in a good spot. You just want to say, hey, God, would you just pray protection over us? Maybe you want to pray for a child. Maybe you want to pray for a friend. Maybe you want to pray for a worry that's just consumed you. Maybe financially things are tough. And you just say, hey, I need some people to pray with me and pray for me. I don't want to fight the battle alone. And God say, you don't have to. Maybe you want to use this as an altar and just get on your knees and pray. I don't know. But I know this, there's the God of the universe is here. And the God of the universe has come to meet you personally. So how do you respond? Father God, we need you. Father, just like Thomas, God, we've got doubts so many times and worries and fears and concerns. And God, today we just say thank you that you're big enough to handle them all. God, we try to do it on our own, but we can't. We can't change a heart. We can't change a life. Only you can. And so today we come to put a stake in the ground to say, my Lord and my God, personal, you are enough for me. Trusting in you, living in you. Father, I pray right now, Father, over every person here, I pray that you would draw us close to your heart. I pray that you would grow us deeper in our faith. I pray that our lives would come fully alive, that we would live with peace and purpose and joy. And so, Father, meet us. Give us the boldness and the courage to be honest and authentic and genuine with you. Thank you for you, our God of love and grace. You don't reprimand us or get mad at us, but you just respond in love. And so today we want to respond in worship and in prayer. And it's in the name, the beautiful, precious name of Jesus that we proclaim, Christ is enough for me. Let's stand together and let's just have a time of response this morning.